0: Chase Young is far and away the best player in this draft, uh, if you ask me. Um, he's just—he's mm-hmm. exceptional, um, and he is going to be one of, if not the highest-graded defensive player I've ever looked at.
1: On this week's Against the Grain, we're going to start breaking down the top draft picks with a draft expert and a new segment called The MVP Behind the MVP. Hit the goofy open.
2: We are cutting against the grain.
0: Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Again, the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain grain. Here's Andrew Perloff
1: Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast I am Andrew Perloff Uh, On the board is our producer Mario Mario, how you doing buddy?
2: I'm doing well, I'm doing well, can't complain
1: Uh, Okay, a little too much detail there Now here's the thing, it is finally like the real college football season Alabama plays LSU this week and I think a lot of people are viewing this as a potential showdown for who's going to be the top pick, Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback, or Alabama's Tua tunga Bailoa. Now, from what I understand, talking to different draft writers and scouts, don't overestimate one football game. So we're going to talk to uh, Bleacher Report's Matt Miller, who is one of the best in the business. And finally, is this really a showdown for the top pick? If you're the Bengals or the Dolphins, are you, are you going to take the winner of this game? Or is it way more complicated than that? So we're going to really dig into the draft. I also want to ask, Matt, it seems to me like it's shaping up to be an all-time wide receiver draft, like almost as good as the Odell Beckham Jr. class. So my question is, if you're a team, are you going to draft a wide receiver in the first round when you can get a great one in the second and third? Uh, And we're going to get into a little Chase Young. Is it possible that the Ohio State defensive end— could leapfrog all the quarterbacks and still go number one. I love all that. Mario, I know you're totally digging that. It's the only time I can get you to pay attention when we're talking draft. Am I right? I didn't even hear what you were saying. What? I'm just kidding. Yeah, draft (laughs) time. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, So bear with me for three seconds here, Mario. I have a new segment. It's called the MVP behind the MVP. Now, this has a lot to do with my own professional life. You know, kind of like Dan is like the MVP of the business, but really he's propped up by – by me. you know. I think that's fair. I think that's a yeah, very fair. fair
2: evaluation.
1: So I looked at the top five MVP candidates, according to ESPN.com, and I'm going to tell you who the MVP behind the MVP is. Is this concept coming clear, Mario? Because if you don't get it, no one else is going to get it.
2: No, totally got it. I'm Good. kind of you're aboard. to hear what you're okay.
1: going to say. Yes, I figured as much. Okay. Russell Wilson, the MVP behind the MVP, Uh, I'm going to start with the obvious. Uh, Tyler Lockett, the wide receiver, is unbelievable. He's amazing. He's incredible. Give Dan Patrick credit. Uh, When Tyler Lockett was coming out, everyone thought he was just a special teams guy. Dan was all over him saying, this guy could be a great receiver. I don't know how he knew it, but he is amazing. He's like Tyreek Hill light, and he just makes incredible catches. So I'm going to give Russell Wilson, the MVP behind the MVP, to Tyler Lockett, But that being said, I'm not convinced Russell Wilson is going to be able to keep this up because they keep beating bad teams by three points. So we'll see. He's number one on my MVP board and the MVP behind the MVP, Tyler Lockett. Number two, Lamar Jackson. Now That's an interesting one, Baltimore Ravens. Mario, you're never going to guess who's my MVP behind Lamar Jackson. Who's the second player on the Ravens who's helping bolster Lamar's candidacy? Mark Ingram? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but I actually went with guard Marshall Yanda. Anytime you watch Who? a Ravens game, Marshall Yanda, future Hall of Fame oh, guard. okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Every time you watch a game, the announcers show like highlights of him just throwing grown men to the ground or throwing them around. I think he sets a tone for them. Like That's why they're running so much. It's Yanda, who's first ballot Hall of Famer. He is an incredible player, and you forget he's been there so long, I don't think he gets as much attention, except when you're actually watching the game. It's against a Patriots defense, which is a great defense. Yanda looked like a man amongst boys. By the way, I do like Ingram, too, because you can't put all defensive backs to Chase Lamar because you've got to deal with Ingram. But Yanda helps with that, too. Deshaun Watson, this one is super easy. The Texans quarterback is definitely in the MVP race, but that is a lot to do with DeAndre Hopkins. He's the security blanket. He's the reason everybody else gets open. You can't even really double-team him. Watch him on third down. He's always just there and for Watson, and he's always open, and he catches everything. This is, it reminds me of A.J. Green with Andy Dalton back when the Bengals offense was good. This is the effect of a superstar receiver. I love Deshaun Watson, everything he's doing. I feel like that Texans offense is way diminished without New Hopkins. That's an obvious statement, but I think he deserves a lot of credit this year. He's been good for so long that nobody talks about him anymore. I mean, Mario, how often do you hear people talking about DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in football?
2: No, not often. It's usually uh, somebody like um, who? I mean, in the past, well, it's been Julio Jones, right?
1: Yeah, Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. Uh, then I think Mike Evans is making a claim this year. Tyreek Hill is certainly mm-hmm. making a claim. But DeAndre Hopkins is always in that mix, but he's such a quiet dude that he doesn't get the attention uh, of like OBJ when he was at the top of his game. No, so, And there are a lot of really great... Antonio Brown, obviously, was the best receiver for you a think while. He's,
2: you think he's the reason for Deshaun Watson's all that success this year, though?
1: No, I don't think he's the only reason. He's a huge reason. Watch them play closely. Yes, Hopkins is doing incredible things. But when push comes to shove, who's he go to? Who is the guy? I really do. And honestly, I, yeah, I think, I think Watson's a Pro Bowl-level quarterback without Hopkins. I think he's an MVP candidate with Hopkins. Mm. And I don't think that's that radical a take, dude. He's an g- amazing receiver.
2: I think that's interesting. I, I mean, I would credit more so DeAndre or um, Deshaun Watson's just ability to scramble and make something happen when there's nothing there for why he's having that, this great of a season, no? No. Well, they know, got a lot of kinda, receivers there.
1: Yeah, I know, but they're only open because everyone's covering Hopkins. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to get into this right now. Maybe we should do it off podcast, but you're kind of supposed to support me. It's, oh. uh
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. DeAndre Hopkins, he's the MVP to the MVP.
1: Okay, next is Aaron Rodgers, who his sidekick MVP was a tough one. That is not obvious. I was going to go with Brian Bulaga, the right tackle, but Aaron Nagler, who's been on the podcast, who covers the Packers, said that he stunk the last two weeks. I know he has some sort of injury. So I'm going to go with running back Aaron Jones, who you're a fantasy player like me, Mario. We've been just waiting and waiting and waiting for Aaron Jones to be good. And he's still not totally consistent, but he's awesome. That one wasn't a strong one. I'm not sure who the MVP to the MVP is in Green Bay. Jamal, by the way, Jamal I, Williams,
2: honorable mention.
1: Yeah, because he just showed up last week. It's been Aaron Jones more consistently. Uh, yet, by the way, has the segment changed the MVP to the MVP? That's a, that's a kind of it was sidekick MVP before. It's kind of all over the place. But
2: Yeah, I think we need to brand it a little bit better. But I get the concept. The concept is down.
1: Okay, then the last one, number five or four on a lot of MVP lists, Christian McCaffrey, the running back from the Carolina Panthers. He is on pace to set the all-time NFL combined yardage receiving rushing record. Now, I'm curious who you would go with, Mario. If I say Christian McCaffrey, who's the MVP to the MVP? Yeah, you're stuck, right?
2: Uh, There's nobody in that offense that really scares me at all besides Christian McCaffrey.
1: Yeah, I, that seems a little harsh. Uh,
2: who, who, who is it? So who? Yeah, who? Well, all
1: those young receivers are great. I really DJ like all Moore those guys.
2: Samuel.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're all great. Uh, my MVP, the MVP, is going to be offensive coordinator Norv Turner. Oh. Now it's funny, Norv Turner is not getting a ton of credit for this year uh, with Carolina, uh, but look what he's done with Kyle Allen. I honestly think Kyle Allen is a better fit for what Norv wants to do with short passing. But Norv's always had running backs who get a ton of receptions. Emmitt got a lot in Dallas. LaDainian Tomlinson, we know, got a ton uh, with the Chargers. And now he's doing it with Christian McCaffrey. I don't think it's an accident that all these great historic backs played in Norv Turner offenses. And I feel like that's not getting enough attention this year that Christian McCaffrey is in a Norv Turner offense. And we're really seeing the offense run the way it's supposed to be with Kyle Allen. It's funny, they've sort of had to kind of peel back what they were trying to do with Cam and it's a little simpler with Kyle Allen and you're seeing all those young fast receivers do great things. But I I I'm going a little system here. This is set up perfectly for McCaffrey because Norv loves a running back who can catch the ball and there's no one better. He is such a good receiver and he's such a better between the tackles runner this year. So offense coordinator is the MVP behind the MVP. Not, you know, that's a little different, but I think that's one of the big reasons that McCaffrey is getting these huge yards. Okay, MVP, get, give me a grade A through F on MVP behind the MVP, Mario. What'd you think? Uh, For I first it effort.
2: a solid B+.
1: Yeah, I was going to go B. I worked pretty hard. I actually called up a bunch of beat reporters on this, got their opinions. Uh, but it's a work in progress. Like you know. The
2: concept. I like the concept of it a lot. Um, I think you mm. can definitely catch on.
1: Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, okay, to get everyone back, let's get into the NFL draft. Cincinnati Bengals, I've benched Andy Dalton going with Ryan Finley. Seems like they are tanking and competing with the Miami Dolphins. The Ravens are 10-point favorites over the Bengals this week. We're going to see if the Bengals are really tanking. I feel like the Ravens might crush them, even though the Ravens will probably come out a little flat after the big Patriots win. If that's the case, it's going to be really, really interesting to see Some of these bad teams, the Redskins, the Dolphins, the Bengals, what direction they go to. We're going to talk to Bleacher Report's Matt Miller, to get intel on those three teams, and much more right now. All right, as I mentioned earlier, the game of the century is this weekend, Alabama, LSU. And I want to bring on Bleacher Report's Matt Miller to talk about this. Now, Matt, the casual college draft fan is going to look at this and say whoever wins the Alabama LSU game, that's the number one pick. Is that a mistake that non scouts make all the time, judging too much in one game?
0: Oh, without a doubt. That's say really one of my my popular rants that I go on is that fans a lot of times can't see the forest through the trees. You know, we get we get stuck on one game, and you know whether it's Jared Goff throwing five picks in a game in college, or we say, oh, he sucks. He's he's not going to be drafted early. He was still the first pick in the draft. You know, we run into that with Deshaun Watson. Everyone looks at that last year at Clemson where he turned the ball over a lot. And, okay, well, he's not going to be any good. But the the bigger picture was still that, hey, Jared Goff's still pretty good. Deshaun Watson's still pretty good as far as draft prospects go. So um, I I think that, yeah, you have to be careful. It's easy to get caught up and to get excited. We're all human, right? And general managers are, other than Bill Belichick, general managers are all human too. So it's easy to, like, fall into the human emotion of, that was an amazing game. Say Joe Burrow goes out and throws for 400 yards against Alabama. We're all going to be psyched, you know, especially me as like the leader of the Joe Burrow fan, you know, train right now. But it it takes a lot more nuanced evaluation than a simple, if Alabama wins, it's Tua. If LSU wins, it's Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah, but say you're John Elway or say some, I mean, he's a little different, but they watch, like you said, they watch these games. They probably gauge public interest. I think like they'll, they'll, could build momentum, especially when you get to the Final Four, where if people see this quarterback have an amazing game, I feel like, like you said, NFL guys might be as simple as fans sometimes,
0: right? Without a doubt, we we've, we've all seen it happen. You know, where it, good and bad, where you talk yourself into or out of a player because of performances. And I will say that we can't pretend like this game doesn't matter because it does neither Tua nor Joe Burrow will see a better secondary than the one they're going to see on Saturday. And, like, that's what makes this matchup so cool is that – so Tua with those four great receivers, you know, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, uh, Devonta Smith, Lager and Waddle. Those are four guys who are amazing receivers. But LSU's strength is their secondary. With Christian Fulton, with Derek Steenley Jr., with Grant Delpit. So the matchups matter in this game. And the same for what Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. You know, they're going to see an Alabama defense with Trevon Diggs, and Xavier McKinney, Patrick Sertan. There's so much talent out there. that So this game does matter a lot. But it, it, it can't be as simple as, Winner is QB one and should be the pick of the Cincinnati Bengals number one overall. But I I will say on the other side of that, Andrew, no game that these two quarterbacks have played matters more than this one, because what we like to do in player evaluation is you want to look for the biggest games and the best defenses. So when the year's over, the first game I'm going to turn on for both these quarterbacks and for all those receivers and all those corners is going to be this one game because you want to see the best against the best.
1: Well, on that note, You know, I looked at your last mock draft, I believe about a week ago. You still have Utah State quarterback Jordan Love at 17, who was 15 for 30 with three picks against LSU. How do you explain that?
0: (laughs) Traits. And again, so mock drafts, I always try to caution people, are not representative of what I would do. They're based on what I've I've heard from people around the league. So Jordan Love is going to get that Josh Allen – Carson Wentz kind of bump. And I'll say Jared Goff got this as well. When you have a quarterback with really good traits, whether that's athleticism or arm strength, and Jordan Love has both of those, you get a bump when the team around you is bad. Because we, as evaluators, you have a built-in excuse. If Jordan Love plays bad against LSU, we can all say, oh, man, but his offensive line isn't any good. His receivers, none of those guys are playing a power five. And you're going against the best defense in the country, right? So you have a baked-in excuse. Now, if he plays great against a good team, you say, look at my man, elevating the play around him. You know, He's he's doing exceptional things. But I think with with Jordan Love, it's a a really good example of that, of evaluators will make excuses for guys they like, and they'll make excuses against guys they don't like. So I think for those people who do like him, you're going to look at him and say, you know, he's got an arm, he's got mobility, he's a playmaker on a really, really bad team. Let's just get him on a good team. Now, I am personally not a believer in Jordan Love as a top-tier talent. I don't think he should be seen as a first-rounder. In fact, if I were him, I would probably be looking into trying to graduate transfer and play somewhere better next year to where he can get more help, where he can get more development. But we rarely see that. You know, Instead, we see guys who are like they know they're going to get their money. They're going to be a high draft pick, so they, they go ahead and jump to the NFL. Um, it would be interesting to see if that's, if that's what he does. You know, With the, the end of the year coming up, uh, he's got a tough decision to make.
1: You know, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking historically. I need your help here. I remember a couple smaller school QBs who had one game. Remember Dante Culpepper had a game. You might not. Yeah, I don't think you were in the business yet. He had a game in Central Florida where he beat up on. Was it Nebraska? Are you remembering this at all?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Was it Nebraska? Yeah, and then Yeah. yeah, that helped. And Jay Cutler had one giant game. I can't remember which one it was when he was at Vanderbilt, where he was on the Even national scene. Even Byron
0: team. Leftwich did. You yeah. know, like Leftwich had yeah. that game where he's like hobbled, and they're carrying him down the field, and it's like, okay, yeah. this is it. And I, I think Carson Wentz was a little different because you know, he didn't play up a lot, but all they did was win national championships while he was there. Yeah. So yeah. you almost need that game. We talk a lot about this on, on my podcast, The Bleach Report, uh, that you almost need hype as a quarterback Mm-hmm. Because you got to get your name out there, like you got to get talked about. And for Wentz, it was because you know, from his freshman year until his senior year, they were winning national championships. You know, so right. it, it, and with Josh Allen, it was you know, you have this guy who's 6'5", 240, with the strongest arm most people have ever seen. So he, there was something tangible that you could get excited about. With Jordan Love, like that's not quite there yet. Um, it, it's interesting when I the first time I watched him, I watched him a, a team ask like, hey, you take a look at this guy. And so I did, and I, I texted back, and I was like, he reminds me of Colin Kaepernick on the field. Like, that's who he plays with. Like. Wow, you know, he's that's He's a another small school kid who has a, yep. a good arm. His arm's not as big as Caps, but, you know, who also is, is mobile. So I liked him the first time I watched him play, but he's just – he's not getting it done at a – at some point you can't just have traits. Like, you have to have talent that matches that. I think more than ever we're seeing that play out in the league with these – early draft picks that are either playing well, you know, like Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, or the guys who aren't playing well. It's like, if you, if you only have traits and don't have production Mm. more often than not, you're going to fail.
1: That's such an interesting notion about building momentum. I remember there's one more Ben Roethlisberger had a night game against Louisville late in his last season in Miami. And he was ridiculous, you know, like that's another guy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know totally, uh, but it's like you do need momentum, which gets me into my next question about the Dolphins and the Bengals. Let's say hypothetically, and you have to answer both scenarios. Cincinnati's number one, Miami's number two, uh, and vice versa. Do either of them skip the quarterback this year and go with Chase Young?
0: I think they're going to have really hard conversations. Uh, honestly, that that is tough. Chase Young is far and away the best player in this draft, uh, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Um, he's just mm-hmm. he's exceptional, um, and he is. Going to be one of, if not the highest graded defensive player I've ever looked at. That's high. Like right now, it's Voller. It's like my gold standard is the defensive prospect. Chase Young is doing exceptional things. Again, traits and production. And he's doing it at NFL size. It's so rare to see a college pass rusher who knows how to use his hands and does that at 265 pounds at 6'5. You know, normally it's those guys who are a little bit undersized who have good technique. He's better than either of the bosses. Uh, he's, he's healthy coming out. You know, they both had health concerns. He's has a better first step. That was the biggest question with Joey was that's first steps kind of average. Mm-hmm. He, and he has the same hand use that those guys had, which was really the calling card was how well technically developed they were. So man, I, they are both, the Bosa boys were both really, really special. Obviously, you know, they're doing great things in the NFL, but it, I, I look at Chase Young and yeah, I think if you, if you're the Bengals, That's why you're playing Ryan Finley right now is you're hoping and praying that Mm. he shows you enough that you can make some kind of decision. Because if Ryan Finley shows a flash, okay, then you draft Chase Young at number one overall. And if Ryan Finley doesn't work out, then you go into 2021 and you look at Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. But you've at least kicked the can on your quarterback to see if there's anything there. While at the same time, you're getting a really, really good generational, and I hate that people overuse that word, but a generational pass rusher in Chase Young. And with the Dolphins, wherever they end up, I think it's interesting because that's the thing they have three first round picks. So say, even if they don't get the first pick, say Cincinnati takes Tua and the Dolphins at two take Chase Young. Well, they're gonna have two other picks, Pittsburgh yeah. and Houston, that they could try to package to come back up to get a Joe Burrow. They could try to package to come back up to get a Justin Herbert. So there's a lot of possibilities for the Dolphins where they might not have to take that quarterback you know, with the first pick that they have because of those two other other picks and, and future picks as well. So they're they're in a pretty good situation to be able to, like, play the board, see where they end up. If Pittsburgh keeps winning, that becomes, you know, a little less probable because, you know, if you're picking at 17 and 25, you're not getting up very far, uh, you know, if, yeah. if you decide to trade up. So th- they need to root for Pittsburgh to lose right now.
1: Okay, a couple questions. You have, so Chase Young, you have a, above Jadavion Clowney and above Khalil Mack. Where they were yeah, at the time. That sounds
0: crazy, right? I, Khalil okay. Mack was amazing. His game against Ohio State is still one of the best games I've ever seen. But yeah, yeah I still would put Chase Young above those guys.
1: Yeah, and I mean Nick is ridiculous right now for the Niners, and he—I've seen him blow up the run game as much as he's out of control. Okay, other question: Imagine this scenario—you just paid him for a Cincinnati. What if they take Chase Young number one this year, wait a year, and get Justin Fields at number two this year? They're basically become an Ohio State professional team to engage a fan base which has completely left the team. What do you think of that strategy?
0: I love it. I've actually, I wrote about that once earlier. Oh, you did? Okay. I said the Dolphins should just take those Alabama guys. Like, take Tua, take Alex Leatherwood, try to get Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs. And that Cincinnati, like, I would tap so hard into that Ohio State pipeline. You know, take Chase Young this year, take Justin Fields next year. Um, if they had more picks, I would tell them to get Jeff Okuda at corner as well because they need help there. So I, I think that's, you know, I, we saw Mike Mayock do a little of that. You know, he didn't go all Clemson, but he did take Cleveland Pearl. Mm. And then he took uh, Trayvon Mullen at the top of the second round. So I, I think we're seeing a little bit more of that. And guys like, okay, we, we have a, a couple of these like, blue blood programs that are great draft pipelines. Mm. Why are we not tapping into this a little bit more? And you know, there's, there's less parity in college football right now that I think than there's ever been before, you know, even with the rankings coming out last night, it's like, okay, yep. The the elite teams are getting the elite high school talent and they're developing it really, really well. You know, when Saban first got to Alabama, he'd have those four or five star classes. And he'd be like, okay, well, these guys aren't good NFL players. Now like Alabama defensive backs don't bust in the NFL anymore. Like they're, they're always good. Same for the D line, the O line guys always play really well. So we're also getting the best development now from the teams that are mm. doing the best recruiting. And that, it does make the job a little bit easier.
1: Wait, t- walk back. Alabama guy, we're still over, we're over D Milliner. Uh, who are we sure? It's I mean, I know long Minka has. has time ago. <laughs> I know we have uh, <laughs> not, I know Minka Fitzpatrick's been fired the last couple of weeks, but I didn't know that that cliche was already gone. Uh, oh, like about,
0: Marlon Humphrey's one of the best corners oh, he's great. in football now, you know? So like, he's great. I, I think that's, that that plays a big part in it, and you know even like Landon Collins. Landon Collins hasn't been amazing, but he was a second round pick, and he's been a, a solid starter who will have some really good years. But even in his bad years, he's still he's still solid. So I think that's one thing you're getting from Alabama now is you're not having the Dean Milliners anymore. You know, to yeah. where you, you oh my god, this guy looked great. Let's drop him in the top ten. But the Jets are also cursed. Like the Jets could, could the Jets and Browns <laughs> might be able to ruin anyone. They're just cursed.
1: That's a that's a great point. Okay, a third team that might end up by accident being the number one pick, the Washington Redskins. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten to watch Dwayne Haskins closely and the snaps he's gotten. Any chance he gets Josh Rosen? I know it's a completely different situation, but if they sat 2 one, two, three and fell in love with Tua, do you think there's any chance that they would try a quarterback up there?
0: Oh, without a doubt. And you know, I don't know that it is that different of a situation, really. I mean, it just it all depends on who comes in as head coach and. You know, with Arizona, they bring in Cliff, who says, Listen, Josh Rosen is the worst possible quarterback for my system. We have the perfect quarterback for my system, sitting at number one overall, draft him. And so I think with Washington, whether they're picking one, two, or three, if there's a quarterback there, that's something they're going to have to have a conversation about because, you know, we, we don't know what they're looking for. And I even think with, with Dwayne Haskins, I know there's been a ton of reports about who wanted him. Whether it was Daniel Snyder or Bruce Allen or whether it was Doug Williams, it definitely wasn't Jay Gruden. But I think like Hell that's yeah. the thing is like, okay, who made the call on this guy, and how involved will they be next year? Because this it could be easily a situation where, through no fault of his own necessarily, you know, they come in and say we want to go a different direction. We want, you know, we want more of a mobile guy. You know, let's let's go get you know our version of, of that. You know, who which would be like a Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts, which is super super early for them. But the crazier things have happened.
1: Uh, can I just share a quick observation about Tua? And maybe I'm wrong, but it feels to me like that he looks through progressions better than some of the other quarterbacks. I see his head moving really well, and like the short. I know he doesn't get credit when the running back who's can run a four two goes for the sixty yard touchdown, but I feel like his his ability to go through progressions is a little underrated. I'm a big Tua fan. I feel like people are a little sick of him now, but he's been around a little bit. Is it possible that people are sleeping on Tua's skill, or is he appropriately hyped?
0: I'm right there with you. I've used this analogy that Tua is like how NFL people view Tom Brady. They're like, we know that you're good and we're tired of it. Like, move on. You know, it's like, why does Brady not win MVPs? Because we expect him to be great. And I think it's it's to that level with Tua. You know, when you come in – so early in your freshman year win a national championship played a high level, you know, now we're almost two years later. I think people are tired of it. And, and conversely, people look for any reason to knock Tua. This happened to Nick Bosa. I would see dudes on, on Twitter all day, trashing Nick, Bo- Joey Bosa, excuse me, because they were just tired of ha- him being great. And I, I think we're to that point with Tua. You're right. His, his ability to get through progressions quickly, but also his, his ability to throw a touch and anticipation and timing He's special. And and so people will ask me, well, what does Tua do that's so great? And the answer is throw the football. (laughs) He's just really, really good at at, at throwing accurately and on time and to the right guy, and he never turns the ball over. He's tough. He's a good athlete. Uh, I'm with you. Tua is my number one quarterback, and it's close to being in ink. The only questions I have about him are are the fact that, you know, now we have two years in a row he's gotten hurt. So that is a little bit of a concern. Yeah.
1: Okay, Uh, I was looking at your big board, which is awesome, of course. You can find it on Bleacher Report. Uh, a lot of wide receivers are up high, and I think it's really after last year's class was kind of lame. This year you got Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, CeeDee Lamb. Uh, I don't even think you have LaVisca Chenault that high. And you have uh, uh, and T. Higgins on here. Uh, oh, LaVisca Chenault, th- 31. Is it possible you could wait on a wide receiver and get a great one in the second round? Do you think that might inform the way the wide receivers fall in this draft?
0: Yeah, I've talked to a lot of scouts already who who asked me that same question. Like, hey, how long can we wait to get Michael Pittman Jr.? <laughs> and <you> know, the <laughs> answer that I tell these guys is, good players go early. So yeah, like mm. on paper, you know, we can run mock drafts and say Jerry Judy, Henry Rugg, C.D. Lamb go top ten. Well, then how many guys are going to go first round? You know, T. Higgins, Levi Cincinnat, K.J. Hamler, Donovan Peoples Jones, Michael Pittman. How many receivers will end up top ten? So is that, or excuse me, first round. So yeah, like it's a beautiful idea that we can wait for the second and third round and get pretty good players, but other teams are going to know those guys are good and, and they're going to, they're going to chew them up because there's a, a lot of okay. need a receiver in the NFL right now. Uh, but I'll tell you, I have 20 receivers in my top 100. I've never wow. seen anything like it, it ever. And I love the receiver position. It's what I played. It's what I coached. It's what I feel. I scout the best. So I'm a pretty tough judge when it comes to that position, but there's just there's a crazy amount of talent this year.
1: I know all about Jerry Judy's physical skills. I noticed a little something that he seems to be, I don't know if he's complaining, he seems unhappy when he doesn't get the ball because they have so much talent in that offense. What do you know about I don't know, I feel like the Jerry Judy year isn't exactly what I, when you saw him number one on Kuiper's big board and it was you know, you never talk about him the school because he's one of many weapons there. Is he still a top five pick? Are there any sort of any knocks on him throughout the season?
0: Like on talent, he's a top five pick. I think the question will become: Do does anyone want to draft a wide receiver that high? You know, yeah. it, it's kind of like a couple of years ago with with Minka or Derwin James or Jamal Adams, where you're like, these are great players, but they play safety. And so, as right. a receiver, I I think we've started to see that because teams feel like you can get Antonio Brown, you can get Tyreek Hill, like you can get Mm. Juju Smith-Schuster. You can wait for wide receivers a little bit. So I think positional value at wide receiver might hurt Jerry Judy. Um, When I've asked about his personality, people just tell me he's a receiver. You know, like he's a really good receiver and he's never covered even when all year people are rolling coverage. He's constantly double teamed, which is why we see more opportunities for Devonta Smith. We see a lot more opportunities for Waddle, guys who you know, we're kind of role players last year, have, have blown up with huge production uh, in certain games. So I still, I still have Judy uh, number two overall on my board, and he was number one for me at this time last year. It was him and Chase Young were like the two guys a year ago that I was already tracking and watching. So he's special. I compared him to Odo Beckham Jr. You know, he's not a big guy, yeah. but he's, he's silky smooth. He's agile. He's got really good hands. Um, and maybe he's got a little OBJ in terms of that that drive to want the ball all the time. Yeah,
1: which is okay, maybe for he's right. He's a receiver. I'm okay but, with it. Yeah. What do you think those Alabama guys are going to run? If you had to guess, it seems like oh they're going crazy low.
0: Yeah, Henry Ruggs, and I I don't like to deal in hyperbole. Henry Ruggs has a chance to break the record, the forty record. He's in, insanely fast. It's, yeah, it's like. He, I hate doing this because people always take it too far. But Henry Ruggs is Tyreek Hill without off-field concerns. Like that's who he is. He's you know he's six foot one, I'm whoa. serious. he's that fast. He's he's as fast as Tyreek. Guaranteed. Like if he runs the forty, and he should because the NFL will beg him to. He has legendary speed. Henry Ruggs does.
1: Yeah, I've heard. I, I've heard something about. Waddle and both Devante Smith have bragged that they that people are sleeping on their forties too. That I, don't, I think Waddle at one point ran one that was a little slow. Are those guys four three guys?
0: No, I don't think so. I think Judy has a chance to be four three. Yeah, Judy um, for sure. With, with Waddle, you don't see like that burst, you know, okay. as much. And like with Rugs, like the reason I'm so confident about this, I mean, he has. A, I'm sure it's still the record. He ran a ten five and a hundred, which is. Uh, ridiculous like normally you know guys who run sub 12 you're pretty happy about so to run ten five 5 is crazy um, and, and he was doing that as like a junior in high school so that's always like a, a, a little bit of a cheat code like okay how fast is this guy because a lot of times they ran track in high school so you can go look at their 100 meter Oh, okay. so yeah so like that gives us and you can improve obviously so like Devonta Smith he ran a 10-6-7 uh, okay. records 10-4-2 10 that's almost Olympic. That probably is Olympic. You know, like that's, that's yeah. crazy. So there's a big speed difference between those guys.
1: Uh, what about Ceedee Lamb? Uh, I've seen games where he just completely to like the Texas game. Uh, it feels like in another year he would be the guy we were all talking about. It's just such a rich class. Is he is he a top ten pick kind of talent?
0: He could be. You know, we were just talking about forty times. That's going to be the big thing that hurts him because. Mm. You, you watch him play, and you talk to people, and like, yeah, he's not real fast. You know, he might be a four-five guy, which at six-three-one ninety is not ideal. But if you just watch him play, and I love the Alabama kids, I love them. But if you just watch Saturday, Ceedee Lamb's the best receiver in the country. He should win the Belichick Award. He's been that good this year, yeah. and he's so powerful. You know, Texas can't tackle to save their lives, but his ability to run through tackles is, is really, really impressive. So I, I have him ranked at number nine overall right now. I compared him to DeAndre Hopkins with his catch radius, with his toughness. Especially, like, I remember the first time I watched DeAndre play, I was like, how big is this dude? And then you look it up, and you're like, he's not big. He just plays big. And I think CeeDee Lamb is is that way as well. He just, he plays big, and that's one of my favorite things about him.
1: Yeah, when you just said his weight, I was like, wait, am I talking about the same guy? I thought he was a big receiver.
0: Yeah. You would think he played at, like, 210, 215, but he's listed at at 190.
1: Okay, uh, let's go with this one. Is Lamar Jackson changing the way NFL teams view quarterbacks? Because he seems to have a knack for avoiding all big hits. Is it is he opening up the mobile quarterback even further? A trend that's already existing. But it seems like people are saying, well, Lamar's not getting hurt. Maybe I can take that mobile guy.
0: I think to some degree, I think mean, Kyler Murray was just the first pick. You know, so yeah. I, I feel like they're similar in that. You know, Kyler. Absolutely. Uh, the, yeah. the thing that I was killing about Kyler is like, he has he has such a small strike zone for tacklers. Uh, you know, I can yeah. remember watching the big 12 championship game and Texas defensive ends would pin him in and you you can't hit him. He's, he's so small yep. and able to get away. So, and I think with Lamar, Lamar does a great job of making himself skinny. You know, he's, he scoops yep. through little openings that bigger guys, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, they're going to get rocked when it comes to that. So I think the league is, the league has quarterback thirst, and they're they're turning over any rock now to find their guy. You know, it used to be we want you to be six foot four, two twenty, and a drop back passer, and now it's like you know we need a quarterback, so we will take Lamar Jackson, who five years ago teams would have been trying to make that guy a receiver. Some of them were two years ago, you know. I know and, and Kyler Murray I know. would be playing slot receiver right now, or, or baseball. So I think that yeah, we're seeing the league open its eyes. Which makes my job tough because it used to be that you had a boilerplate and you could evaluate a quarterback and all 32 teams kind of look for the same traits. It makes it a little more difficult because you have to evaluate a guy like Kyler Murray and say, okay, if he goes to systems X, Y, and Z, it's going to be really good. If he goes to systems A, B, and C, he's never going to see the field. And so, it, it makes our jobs harder, but I think also it starts to separate, you know, the, the folks that are doing the work and, and know what they're doing a little bit because you, you're going to have that nuanced conversation about a prospect and say, okay, this guy, this guy fits really well if you do these things. And, you know, that's a credit to John Harbaugh. It's a credit to Cliff Kingsbury that they've been willing to, to open up their offenses. And I will say, you know, even before that, Bill O'Brien, when he gets Deshaun Watson yeah. at halftime of week one, he says, hey, we're going to run the Clemson offense. You know, let's go. Let's do it.
1: Uh, do you know Emery Hunt football at football game plan on Twitter? He works for the Athletic. I'm not sure you ever. He was before the season. He kept. He's like watch Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray. They never take a big hit, and that's a skill that I don't think people talk about enough. Where RG three did not have that skill. We know that, and no. you know, I think Josh Allen does not have that skill at all. By the way, he's just too big a target. I feel like Cam he Nitton, can't keep that running. Clemson
0: is that way. Yes. Like, if why is, like, why like, why is Trevor going going Lawrence running?
1: Why is he running this it, year? Why don't they? He, why he shut it days? down? Yeah, I know, but he's got to be careful. Yeah,
0: Yeah. right. I think that offensive line is just so bad this year. You know, which you don't expect, but I I think they're doing everything they can to try to win games at this point. But he's another guy. Like, if I could, if I could get Dabo to, you know, take a little advice from a, a a guy, you know, sitting in Missouri right now, it would be, hey, tell your quarterback he's got to learn to slide and he's got to learn to to not take the big hits. You know, that that feel that you have in the pocket for pressure, you have to take that with you past the line of scrimmage because it is, it absolutely is. It's a skill set. Russell Wilson's amazing at it, you know, and and there's a lot of times it's these small or skinny quarterbacks where you, you like learn because you're small and skinny, you learn how not to take these big hard hits and and it definitely translates moving forward.
1: Okay. I need your help by the way. Can you help me with Albert Breer? Who's now telling me Justin Fields is going to challenge Trevor Lawrence for the number one pick next year. Is this a thing? Is this happening?
0: (laughs) Where'd Breer go to school? Come on.
1: I know. That's why I can't. Well, first of all, he's been. <laughs> no, he, I'm you know, giving him a hard time. When you meet him, by the way, he doesn't show you pictures of his kids. He shows you videos of Chase Young. He he has right. been doing that forever. So, but Justin Fields he's is good. Is crazy, he? Though. it seems like it he, might be happening.
0: It could be happening. You know, we were just talking about. You know, um, they're both mobile, so it's not like one's great, the other's not. But I think Justin Fields is. Yeah, he's exciting, and I tried to withhold judgment because we didn't see him really play at Georgia. When we did, I actually thought he kind of struggled a little bit. So I was like, okay, well, let's wait and see what he does in a new offense with all the reps. And I I will say, and you can say this about a lot of people right now, but Ohio State really hasn't played anyone that has challenged him. But I'm intrigued by Justin Fields. I I really am, and he's got a young receiver core. um, So he doesn't have Alabama's receivers or Clemson's receivers, or LSU's receivers. Ohio State's good, but they're not on that level. And he has an offensive line that's made up of you know some, some redshirt sophomores, and he doesn't have Alabama's offensive line with two first-rounders at offensive tackle. So I think the fact that he's doing a lot of really, really good things without as much superstar talent around him is really telling. So you start to have that conversation with yourself when you're watching him of, okay, is, is he just making everyone around him better? You know, look at J.K. Dobbins this year versus last year. Some of that, yep. you know, he improved his his training and he's in better shape, but he's also seeing a lot better you know, boxes and fronts because of the threat of Justin Fields. So he, I'm really intrigued by him, you know, just as a player, what he can do. He's got a big arm. He's able to move around. He's strong, but you know, we're still talking about a guy who started, you know, seven or eight games in college right now. So there's, there's just not enough tape to have a great feel yet.
1: Matt, tell me a little bit about your tailgate tour. You're going to be uh, at LSU Alabama. What, What's the food plan? What's the drink plan for that? Which, you know, I'd like to think about coming down. What what can I expect?
0: You should come down. Yeah, we're going to be there at 7 a.m. is the earliest they let you set up in Alabama for a 2.30 kickoff. So we'll be there at 7 a.m. setting up on the quad. Nice. It's a free tailgate that our Sticks football podcast and Bleacher Report are throwing. So we're going to have, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of Natty Lights. We're having barbecue <laughs> coming in. Uh, we're going to have Landon Collins is stopping by. Jim Nagy, executive director the Senior Bowl, is going to be there.
1: Wow, that Can sounds fun. I know you got it. Like, yeah.
0: Koozies and everything to give away as well. So it, it should be great. I think I ordered 250 koozies. So the, the first 250, get a koozie after that, you're, you're holding your beer all day.
1: So, And then you go into Palo Alto later in the year. I spend a ton of time. My in-laws live in Palo Alto. Sancho's Taqueria. You have to have them cater the whole thing. They're amazing.
0: There we go. Well, yeah, and I'll show up for that. Yeah. What's that? Okay, let's do it we've been looking for tips for, for Palo Alto because the, like, I don't have a huge following from the Stanford fan base. And so it was like, okay, wh- where are we going to go out there? So we rented a tent and it's like 20 by 20 with couches and TVs. And we're just going to, and it's free. Like that's the cool thing. You don't have to have a ticket to the game. You don't have to have a ticket to the podcast, just show up. And we're going to be drinking beer. We'll bring some guests in and interview them for the podcast. And then for the most part, like this is just our chance to get out and, and meet our listeners, make new friends. And, and just try to show people a good time.
1: You could drop my name. I mean I'm kind of a big deal in Palo Alto, you know, I'm an Ivy Leaguer, Stanford. Right. So that should probably work. Wait, is that the Notre Dame game or which game uh which game is that?
0: It's Cal Stanford. So, Oh, Cal not Stanford the best uh, uh, game? Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of history there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, like the Mike Silver Bowl. That'd be great. Uh, Matt, I really appreciate your time, and this is so exciting. Uh, I mean, this is last year's draft. I don't know. This year's draft with its skill position in Vegas, I think your your profile, which is already huge, is going to be huger. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun couple of months. A lot of work, nonetheless, but it's going to be, going to be awesome, uh, especially with a draft that's so heavy on offensive players. That's what all the fans want, too.
1: And I know you always laugh about this, too. A lot of work. Oh, you have to watch football, you poor baby. Right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You're drinking coffee, watching football. What a terrible life you lead. Yeah, yeah My, you my got dad, it. who's like 70 and runs a construction company, uh, does not want to hear me whining about when I have to work all day.
1: I know. Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm in the same boat. Love it. All right. We'll talk soon, Matt. Thanks a lot, bud.
0: Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks.
1: Man, I love talking draft with Matt. Matt's a guy I ran into at Combine several years ago when he was just sort of blowing up on Twitter. He does his work. He knows a lot of people. Uh, He's tight with both NFL people and college people. So when he says stuff about the draft, you should really listen to it. I am so jealous about his tailgate tour. I've actually never been to Tuscaloosa. Mario, you ever been to one of those big SEC home games?
2: No, no. I'm dying to go to one. Next year, I think that's my main priority uh, to go to uh, SEC tailgate.
1: Yeah, which one? Uh, Ole Miss is the famous one, LSU? Or You don't L- care? Any LSU. Of them I-,
2: I would really want to go to LSU. I mean, at this point, beggars can't be choosers, but if right. I had a preference, it'd be LSU. That's yeah, I mean, that's one thing about Connecticut. The
1: college football... It's a little bit lacking.
2: Yeah. I mean, the best you get is Yale. Sacred Heart. I mean, that doesn't interest you, a little Sacred Heart football. UConn, home
1: of Dan Orlovsky. Anyway, uh, that was a great conversation about the draft. Uh, We're going to have a lot of that in the coming months. Uh, If you aren't subscribed, subscribe. Rate, review, do the whole thing. Tell your friends. Uh, Mario, tell all your friends. We bought it. How many friends do you have? You have to give lots. You're always out there on the weekends. Yep. Going yep. out. This weekend, I'm going to Doing. Boston
2: College. So I'll promote it out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing yeah. TikToks and all those young people things. You'll oh, be yeah. great. All right, buddy. Uh, that's it for this week, and we will catch you soon on the Against the Grain podcast. Against the Grain. 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 Hey!